Hello to you. Welcome to Coin Market Recap on Monday, the 17th of October. I'm Connor Sefton with Coin Market Caps, easy to understand look at the top crypto stories. Today, we've got a few more bonus interviews from Bitcoin Amsterdam. A crypto mortgage provider tells us how they're helping Bitcoin investors buy homes. And the creator of The Little Hodler reveals how she started a successful Bitcoin business all with the help of comic strips. Give our show a follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts. And you can get in touch with me on Twitter as well. I'm at Connor Sefton. Coin Market Recap at the Bitcoin Amsterdam Conference. Getting a mortgage is hard, and for people who have invested heavily into Bitcoin, the prospect of selling your crypto for a deposit isn't always an attractive one because it's a taxable event. Tristan Marino and Aaron Nevin are from Moon Mortgages. They told us how crypto-backed home loans actually work. Getting a mortgage, super hard. I did it this year, and I'm still in a support group about it. It's really, really traumatic. And it was near impossible as well, because I'm, I'm self-employed, right? So that's why you started Moon Mortgages, wasn't it, Aaron? Absolutely, yeah. Eventually, we got tired of being told, uh, we like you, but no. Uh, it doesn't matter how many assets you have or how much income you've brought in through a 1099, mm-hmm. the U.S. version of... Uh, uh, and so, we, you know, at one point, Tristan and I were just talking about these problems, uh, ultimately got into a conversation about the need to underwrite an individual, and not as much a you know a traditional bucket of uh, criteria, mm-hmm. and and that really brought us down this path. Uh, surrounded ourselves with a team of lawyers and got to work. <laughs> Brilliant. So, what are the benefits of using crypto instead of fiat for a mortgage? What we like to say is that you're blending two really interesting assets. Uh, one that is stable and not particularly volatile, but not liquid either. And one that's highly liquid and, as we've seen, has a little bit of volatility associated with it. When you blend these two asset classes together, you end up ultimately with a better asset, something that's stable for the most part and more liquid. So our approach was figuring out how to blend these two assets in a way that would make what ultimately is the key to this, you know, a secondary market, uh, excited about buying this type of debt. And so that's what we've set out to do build out a secondary market where we can demonstrate that, you know, despite these loans being underwritten largely by crypto as an asset case, uh, they still have a lot of merit to them. And you should want to buy these. You'll get a couple of extra points on the loans themselves and have a highly liquid asset to sort of balance anything out in the case of default. Mm -hmm. I want to talk a bit more about volatility there, because a year ago, Bitcoin was at 56,000. Now it's at 19,000. And weirdly, I spoke to a crypto mortgage provider in Miami and I asked them the same question I'm going to ask you now. How would the fall in Bitcoin's price from 56,000 to 19,000 have affected them if they had a mortgage with you? Uh, no one would have been uh, liquidated at, right. at this point. But based would they on have had level. to give you more collateral? No. How does that work? Because surely you're putting yourselves at risk if someone's given you Bitcoin as collateral. That Bitcoin falls in value, um, yet you've given them a loan. Uh, it does, but we have a first position lien against the real estate. Uh, we're only providing these loans in uh, designated zip codes. Mm-hmm. Zip codes we think will perform well and be relatively stable over the next five years. 
And because of that, we can have some of the lowest uh, liquidation points in, mm. in the <laughs> growing industry. Tell me more about that lean. How does that work? So it's a, our approach has always been, our approach has always been to not reinvent the wheel, uh-huh. right? We want these mortgages to look and feel like a more or less conventional mortgage, but we use these assets to essentially replace a down payment. Mm-hmm. And after that, the entire flow is treated like a traditional mortgage. It's serviced like a normal mortgage. It can be bought and sold like a, a normal mortgage. Uh, really, we're just bringing more flexibility to the underwriting process and to the down payment process. That's what we're interested in, protecting the equivalent of a 20 or 30% down payment. So you mentioned you're targeting specific zip codes, and you also said that you're looking into expanding into Europe. So where are you currently available Where are you targeting? So in the U.S., uh, we're licensed to do owner-occupied loans in Florida, Texas, and Colorado, and investment properties in a slew of other states, I think up to 39 or so. Mm -hmm. Um, In in Europe, we have plans to relatively quickly expand into the U.K. Mm -hmm. uh, for starts. Our custodian is able to provide a similar service for us here, which really, you know, the licensing piece is one thing, but it's the... It's the technical um, uh, tools that we've built to really manage this process and allow us to potentially expand quite quickly overseas. Mm-hmm. Uh, so as soon as we secure the licensing, we'll, uh, we'll be headed over here. So in the UK specifically, mortgage rates have really exploded. So this time last year, 2.25% was a two-year fixed mortgage, and now it's heading over 6%. How do the interest rates with the types of mortgages you provide compare with that? Maybe not in the UK, but just generally speaking, how does it compare with the conventional market? Sure. So our approach on this is really our first client base are crypto whales that are trying to avoid paying large sums in tax by selling their crypto holdings and also losing their exposure. So the majority of the first few people that we've been looking at are more accustomed to paying higher levels of interest because they're used to maybe taking a loan out against an art piece or against a stock portfolio, which can be cheap in certain scenarios, but since they're going to use it for investment purposes, they'll write off the interest and they'll play some other tax games to really reduce the amount of overall interest that they're paying. And we think it's a great way to break into the space to show proof of concept to sell the debt. And then once we can convince these debt buyers that this is a legitimate product that works quite well, it's going to lower the overall rates for every type of consumer that we plan to allow into the product going forward. One thing that I'd like to ask is, we, we have touched on this and you explained how you were bringing together kind of a volatile asset and a more stable asset, but what would you say to some people who would think that, okay, crypto's volatile and then you've got the roof over your head, is mixing the two of those a bad idea? We actually believe it's the better idea because especially for some of these crypto whales who are trying to almost de-risk out of crypto, but they don't want to sell it. And they also don't because of taxes and maybe they don't want their friends to make fun of them that they sold out. Paper handed. Paper handed. (laughs) So we believe it's a really clever method for them to kind of blend the risk. And it allows them to at least have some more exposure to another asset class that's predominantly done really well. And the nice thing is since uh, the housing market is illiquid and your crypto is liquid, 
we think that there's a great synergy there because that allows the debt buyer to have an active pool of money to kind of underwrite the loan against, which makes them a little bit more comfortable opposed mm-hmm. to sometimes the traditional down payment, depending on how it could be structured. So am I right in thinking that you're primarily targeting existing crypto investors? It's not necessarily going to be the case that you want to entice people who mainly aren't in crypto at the moment and getting them to take out a mortgage with you is people who are already kind of in the Bitcoin world and in Ether. Sure. So how we kind of came into this was, let's try to prove it out in the easiest scenario. The easiest scenario is take as much asset as we can up front, mm-hmm. you know, have the strongest borrower profile to kind of convince the debt buyers that this is something that's a viable strategy. And once we can kind of show proof of concept in the market, we plan to offer a wider variety of hybridized products that may only use partially crypto, mm-hmm. which is a lot more friendly to someone that may have a smaller amount of crypto, but still wants to do this kind of model. And that's where we always wanted to go, but we were just trying to think of what's the easiest way into the market. It's like we're bringing a roadster into the market first and then rolling out with the family-friendly version of the product. Yeah. And there is a use case for it. I mean, I read an article in the UK about a guy who was kind of in his 20s, he's in London, and he was using crypto to save for a down payment. But that simple act of doing that meant that actually some banks where he was trying to apply for a mortgage, it would actually work against him because they'd see the lines in the bank statement saying, okay, you've deposited with Coinbase or Binance and they freak out. So this could be a kind of a good way around it. Absolutely. We love that. I mean, if your crypto funds came from uh, Coinbase or Binance, that's actually saved us a lot of of our due diligence. So that's, that's completely fine with us. So... How popular do you think crypto mortgages are going to become? Do you think that they'll ever go mainstream and maybe even give stiff competition or a real threat to old-fashioned banks? It's a really good question with a nuanced answer. So recently we saw BNY accept custody for Bitcoin, right? In my mind, that really sets the stage that banks are going to have to accept this as an asset class whether they want to or not. Now, in the U.S., the mortgage industry, especially post-2008, uh, is convoluted, complicated, uh, there to protect the consumer, but it has a lot of restrictions around it. I think it's more that piece that will slow the adoption of Bitcoin for a conventional mortgage. Uh, however, I think the, the private mortgage market will... Uh, largely expand and begin to accept certain crypto assets as a viable uh, as a viable asset or, or a viable piece of collateral. Uh, the piece that we're building that's so interesting is a the technology around this, being able to accept these assets, being able to manage the liquidations, being able to manage the risk. Um, that's not a light lift, certainly compared with the regulatory piece. There's something else we're doing we're incredibly excited about that we can't speak of yet, uh, but it's, a, it's an incredibly novel take to mortgages. It's going to bring, we think, more liquidity to the space and significantly more flexibility for the borrower, so much so that you'd almost be crazy not to get a mortgage, honestly. And that's, I mean, what we set out to do was not just take, issue Bitcoin or Ethereum mortgages. We set out to change how the mortgage space was was going to work, um, all while working very clearly in a stiff regulatory framework. So we're uh, we're getting as innovative as we can, 
and bringing some cool products to, to market, but uh, still while well, keeping all of our regulators happy if they're listening. Sounds mysterious. Well, Aaron, interested. Thank you very much for taking the time to talk to us. Oh, it's been our pleasure. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much. And here's a really heartwarming interview for you. If you hang around on crypto Twitter a lot, you've probably seen comic strips that feature an adorable cartoon Bitcoiner. The little hodler started as something small, with each comic strip explaining a new concept about Bitcoin, but it's now exploded in popularity. I caught up with its creator, Lena Seish. Thank you so much for coming on. It's great to have you with us. And I watched your panel, The Bitcoin Audience, Hello. with Peter McCormack and Leila Halpern. And it was really, really interesting Thank just to you. hear you know, your story and the story of everyone there. So tell us first about The Little Hodler. Right. I started The Little Hodler, well, kind of by chance. It, it sort of developed step by step. It was uh, 2020 during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. I was sitting in a quarantine hotel. So I had 15 days where I just had loads of time on my hand. And um, I made a comic and um, I just, it was just, it was this time where Bitcoin was like around Mm 9,000 and we all knew it was two months, I think, after the halving. We all knew it was about to go to 10,000 and beyond. It was just a matter of time. So I had this comic idea in my head and I thought, you know, you might as well. So I made my first comic with um, uh, PowerPoint (laughs) and like stock photos. And I put it on Twitter. And at the time, it was uh, my most liked tweet ever. Yes. So I thought, oh my God, th- there's something. Yeah. Right? So um, it took me a couple months, but then I started getting into it again. Mm-hmm. And I started getting these ideas to make little like Bitcoin stories, to take concepts and try to portray them in a simple way. Yes. And um, at some point, I was like, okay, if I want to do that, I can't use stock photos. Because first of all, I'm going to get copyright issues, right? And second of all, I can only portray so many things. Yes. So I have to make my own thing. And I need a character, but I'm not very comfortable drawing people, yeah. <laughs> drawing faces and all that. So I needed something very simple. So that's how the little hodler was born, which is literally, really just a circle and a cylinder, I guess. It's so elegant. character is so cute. It worked uh, out, yeah. And it became so popular from there. So what's your story? So presumably, I mean, you've been interested in Bitcoin, I imagine, long before you were in this quarantine hotel and decided <laughs> to do the little hodlers. How did you get involved in Bitcoin yeah. to begin with? I've been around since 2017. So I joined during the hype season yes. when, you know, retail uh, FOMO'd into Bitcoin. <laughs> yes. Um, at the time, I was working in marketing. So I was assigned to some projects that were in the space, but not Bitcoin related. Mm-hmm. And it actually took me a good year and a half or so to find the jump from there to Bitcoin. I started, yeah. I was sent to a lot of events by these companies that I worked for. Uh, in a way, I think they wanted to put like a face somewhere to represent. It made me really uncomfortable after a while because I felt like I was just being used to, I don't know, sh- like represent a brand but not really have any substance behind it. And I, I, f- I felt like, you know, where's the purpose? Like, what, what am I doing here? Mm-hmm. And then I, um, I went to a conference in 2019 that was more Bitcoin focused. Yes. And then from there, I started um, reading a few books. I mean, everybody obviously read the Bitcoin standard, yes. uh, the Internet of Money. So those books kind of get me started. And then from there is the rabbit hole. You know, I uh, switched jobs. I've worked for an exchange in marketing before. Um, then I worked for a Bitcoin uh, magazine. Not the Bitcoin magazine, but uh, BBC <laughs> Bitcoin Times. Magazine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, I started doing Little Hodler on the side. And it yeah. was just a hobby. 
And then um, when I when it got really popular, I made the the plushy prototype, and I just I just made it for fun because I thought that's you know that's kind of nice. You can hug it, and it makes Bitcoin tangible and huggable. And I put it on Twitter, mm. and it went it went crazy. And people were sending me messages for weeks, like, where can I buy this? And then I thought, okay, like, there's something. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And then I was actually really lucky to meet my now uh, business partner who saw the, the little hodler and he, he said to me, like, you know, you've got something there. Yeah. Like, you should quit everything you're doing. You should go 100% little hodler and we're going to support you with it and we're going to do this. And then from there, I made it into a business and now we sold thousands in over 50 countries, which is still unbelievable to it's me yeah. it's such an achievement to have a business that you've started from scratch and it just develops naturally i mean it's so rare for that to happen as that's well that's true yeah yeah now i've got a difficult question for you now you've done so many brilliant comics and i've seen them on social media and i've admired them they're absolutely brilliant they're so funny and simple and accessible have you got a favorite or have you got <laughs> a couple of favorites any ones in particular you know what i thought about that the other day like what's my favorite Uh, the one that is still to date my most popular comic and that most people would say is their favorite is my first comic that mm. I posted, um, like officially with the character in it, which is the one, it has four panels mm. and it has the little hodler and it has a millionaire. And then, yes. yeah, it's a, the millionaire says, I'm a millionaire. And the hodler says, I'm a Bitcoiner. And then you see like 10 years later, the millionaire's house gets a bit smaller. The hodler's house gets a bit bigger. At the end, the hodler's in the citadel and they're like, you know, they say he's a Bitcoiner. <laughs> I say he has a whole coin. Like, <laughs> <laughs> that's what, that's it. Absolutely brilliant. That, yeah, it has a special place in my heart because it's my first one, you know. Um, so that's probably one of my favorites. Yes. Um, and then, uh, but uh, well, it, there, it's also like my children. You know, I love them all equally. Yeah. But the one I love especially equally. <laughs> <laughs> How difficult, though, is it to keep things simple? I mean, in that panel before, you were saying that sometimes you're trying to distill really complicated topics into a, into a comic, which is the hardest form to do, let alone writing an article about it. That's really hard. What's your technique? Uh, do you try and, like, imagine you're explaining it to someone who's younger? Or what goes through your mind? What's your process? It is actually a skill of sorts I had to acquire yeah. to think simply. Because in the space, and you, I'm sure you know this yourself, it happens to everyone in the space. The more you learn and the deeper you go down the rabbit hole, the more complex uh, systems you understand. And, you know, Bitcoin touches so many different aspects of your life. So you start thinking in very complex ways. And that's why when somebody says, you know, Bitcoin makes wars unaffordable to you, you're like, oh, yeah, I get why. But if you say that to your, your grandma or to your neighbor, they'll be like, what the hell are you on about? Right. Yeah. So thinking simply was actually something that took me a long time to to learn and to figure out how to do that. So now when there's news coming up or when I see... Um, like the concept of anti-fragility, for example, or proof of work. And I know it's very difficult, but then I think, okay, I give myself six panels, let's say. Um, how can I put this into a picture? For example, anti-fragility, which basically means the more you attack Bitcoin, the stronger it gets, right? So that is something that then I think, how can I make this as simple as possible, which is, you know, how can you attack Bitcoin? You can throw stones and then next you can shoot arrows. And then at the end, you have a catapult shooting stuff at Bitcoin. And Bitcoin's armor gets better and better. So I try to... I know it's very complex to explain how to get there. 
but I try to think in pictures. Yes. And sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But it's very tricky also for myself to not lose touch mm -hmm. because there's different concepts. When I talk about them, then I'm like, okay, I've got that one. Now I've got the next concept. Or how can I talk about it in a different way um, that then I don't make it too complicated? Because yeah. that happens quickly. But I'm, I guess like the more I do it, the better I'm getting at it. I hope. Yeah, you are. <laughs> but, I mean, yeah. There was one comic I saw recently and it boiled down to two frames. 2010... Um, I'd like a pizza, that'll be 10,000 Bitcoin. <laughs> and then 2022, um, I want 10,000 pizzas, that'll be one Bitcoin. You know, really easy to understand. Anybody could understand that. And do you think that with your comments, have you seen the impact of people who might be new to Bitcoin starting to understand how things work and getting involved in the space as a result of the little hodler and what you've done? Yes, yes. So for one, I get feedback from customers to say, I gave this to my family for their birthday, for yeah. Christmas. And it makes, the, the thing about the little hodler is it makes Bitcoin tangible, as I said, right? Because you can't touch Bitcoin, but you can hug the little hodler. It makes it friendly. Yeah. It makes it a bit more, um, yeah, uh, approachable. Mm -hmm. And that has helped a lot of people from what I've heard. But my first-hand experience is I orange-pilled my aunt with my comics. <laughs> she, one day, she came to me and she said, you know I've been following you on Twitter, right? And I was like, oh, what, really? She said, yeah, your comics, I've been reading them, and now I bought some Bitcoin. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> that made me so happy. But also, I orange-pilled my aunt before my dad and my brother. So like, <laughs> what's up with that? But anyway, I'll take it. Well, last question from me then. Obviously, really, you're a shining example of making Bitcoin accessible to the masses. What do you think, more generally speaking, the industry, the businesses, the content creators, um, and I lump myself in this as well, what, what could we all be doing better to make it easy to understand? Because there's still so many people out there who think it's such a steep learning curve and they feel overwhelmed and reluctant to get involved in this space. What do you think we could do better? Yeah, I think it's a couple things. One is consistent, friendly outreach, I would say. Because, mm -hmm. for example, right now, Bitcoin, the Bitcoin price is down. The economy is bad. People are generally very frustrated. And when I think about my, people in my direct environment who are not in Bitcoin yet, they're not comfortable with buying Bitcoin because they don't know if it's going to go back up. They're worried yeah. it's going to go further down. Um, and they don't have that trust in it yet. So going to them and explaining to, to them the whole technology behind it, it's not going to do anything. Mm -hmm. But sticking around and leading by example, that's been the best, uh, yeah, let's say, method for yeah. me so far. And it's also just being open because people at the beginning have a lot of questions that might be very basic. Mm -hmm. But if you address these questions, you don't make them feel stupid about themselves. Yeah. Which, unfortunately, I know right now everybody on Twitter is a bit, yeah, agitated and yeah. easily like it's 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 the bear market, yeah. right? So people tend to feel like if I'm not knowledgeable enough, I'm not welcome here. Mm -hmm. So that's something where I guess we can get better. Too much toxicity in the space, do you think? Especially on crypto Twitter, perhaps? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think so. I mean, I, I kind of represent the non-toxic side of Twitter, you do. right? The, the yeah. wholesome side. <laughs> the wholesome side. <laughs> <laughs> I think you... What's that saying? You catch more flies with something... Honey. Yeah, rather than the other thing. Yeah. <laughs> <Not> the <other laughs> thing. <laughs> I just think, I, I, I understand the concept and the idea behind toxicity, and mm. sometimes it is good, but it's not good if you want to onboard new people. I completely right? agree with so you. So even if you're completely hardcore Bitcoin only, mm -hmm. and you think somebody shouldn't hold anything else, 
just because somebody doesn't just hold Bitcoin, like don't treat them like they're you know don't treat them badly. Mm -hmm. it, it's the majority of people I think actually hold Bitcoin other cryptocurrencies, and just because I don't think that's the best way to do it, it's a free world mm -hmm. for well in that sense, and um, I well I, I'm very much think you know li live and let live. Yeah. And if somebody has a question, help them out. Somebody wants to know more, help them out. And be patient. With you. Be patient. Yes. Yeah. Well, Lena, it's been a pleasure talking to you and looking forward to seeing what happens next with the little hodler. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. Thank you for having me. It was a great honor. <laughs> <laughs> That is it for today's Coin Market Recap. Please do leave us a review if you've enjoyed today's episode. It helps us reach new listeners. There's plenty more crypto news and features on our website over at coinmarketcap.com slash Alexandria. I'm Connor Sefton. Thanks so much for listening. And we'll be back with your normal news roundups from Wednesday. Bye-bye for now.